All right, come on in, everybody. If you have a friend who's still out in outer darkness, go fetch them. Friends don't let friends drink too much coffee, okay? Get them in here. And many of you have been bringing back with you the workbook that we gave out the very first week of this six-week series. Today is the sixth of those six weeks, so the final one. But if you forgot yours or you never got one, we have the six pages. The fi- this final lesson is six pages, starting on page 26 in the notes that you were given a few weeks ago. And the guys were handing those out, I saw, as people were coming in. So we want to make sure everybody's either got this full set or at least the six pages for today. Anybody need notes for today? Everybody over here has? And everybody over here has. These ushers are all over it. Thank you guys very much for doing that. Now, Larry, I also have, in addition to those six pages you're handing out, we have the idolatry questionnaire that we made available two weeks ago. These guys need some notes here. Does any, anybody have the idolatry questionnaire? So do you know where those were put? Okay. Are we missing some much? John, do you have the idolatry questionnaire? That's in the closet as well. And we're going to need to distribute those also. All right, and I'll explain that, and the guys can distribute it here in a, in a moment. But welcome, everybody. Final session of Making Peace. Everybody have a copy of the lesson? Larry's handing them out back here. All right, very good. Let me make some announcements, and then we will get into the notes. Next Sunday, a couple of things are happening. During our first hour, we're going to have guest speaker, our former associate pastor, Matt Owen. He and his wife, Erica, were with us for seven years, and then in 2014, they uh, took a church to pastor down in the Jacksonville area, and they're going to be in town. I've asked Matt to preach for us next week, so that'll be a real treat for us. Uh, Look forward to that. First hour next week. Second hour, this hour next week, we start four new classes Those will go throughout the summer for 12 weeks, and today is the deadline for you to let us know which of those classes you're going to be in. We need to know that for space purposes, for setting up for some of the classes. There are small groups, so we need to know who all is going to be in it. You can register at our website, and you'll see a nice graphic with the four classes there. It's very easy to, to register, but please do that. Do it even now. It won't hurt my feelings. Go on your smartphone and do it now so you can get it done. Uh, before the day is out. And then uh, two weeks from today is Father's Day, but on Father's Day we are doing what we call parent dedication. We don't call it baby dedication because we're not dedicating the baby as much as we're, we the parents are dedicating ourselves to raising our children the way the Lord describes. That's why we call it parent dedication. 
So any of you who are parents are invited to participate in that. At the end of our service that day, we'll do a prayer of dedication, but there are some resolutions that I have that I have to get to you, and you agree that this is how you're going to endeavor to raise your child uh, from Scripture. So that's why it's two weeks away. I need to be able to get that to you. You need to be able to tell me you agree. If you show up on Father's Day, and I've had this happen, I've had people show up and say, hey, I want to be part of that. And I go, no. Well, then wait, wait till next year, and I'll pray for you for the 52 weeks in between. But so let me know, and you let me know by sending an email, info at cbctrenton.com, and then uh, I'll get to all of those who do that those resolutions. Three weeks from today, in our first hour, we are going to have another guest speaker, Chris Anderson. Uh, Chris Anderson is the author and editor of the Gospel Meditations booklet series. He's also uh, written a bunch of hymns, some of them that we use here, and uh, he's going to speak for us that day. And he also has a new book out on uh, songs and how songs and singing and music can uh, edify you in your Christian life. So I look forward to having Brother Chris with us that same day, that afternoon, those of us that are going to family camp will leave for family camp. Uh, we'll be going to, to family camp uh, up at Mackinac, and you've got one week to let us know if you're going. Go to our website and register for family camp even today. And then keep in mind the graduation open houses that are uh, coming up. It's graduation time. We've got a bunch of babies in our uh, in our church coming up as well, and we've had a bunch of showers, baby showers, so you're going to be broke by the end of the summer because of graduations and, and baby showers, but we do want to honor our graduates, so keep those in mind. They are listed on the back of the outline that you should have received on the way in today. The guys are distributing those idolatry questionnaires. Two weeks ago, we had those, and some of you didn't get them because we apparently didn't have enough. That's why we've made more. So not everybody needs it because a bunch of you got it, but those of you that didn't get it, Keith has them, Larry has them, okay? All right, I'll be making reference to that idolatry questionnaire in, in a bit in our lesson. All right, today's final lesson, page 26 of your notes. Uh, sorry, one final announcement, and that's this book. It's called Making Peace and by Ken Sandy. These notes have been based upon this book, and the book is available in our resource center. So if any of you want to read up on that and get, it's obviously got more in here than what we've covered, I invite you and encourage you to do, to do that. So let's say that you see sin on your part, wrong on your part, in a relationship that you're engaged in that's not going well. It may be that there is, in fact, very clearly sin on the other party's part, but you can't force the, them to get that right, as we've talked about. But let's say you see that even with their problems, you now see that you have some that you didn't realize. And it's my hope that the idolatry questionnaire has helped you to do that. Because the point of that is to have you go through and fill this thing out, and then it shows you some things that have captured your heart that you may not have realized. And then realizing that some of those things, things like a desire for achievement and for success or, or for comfort, 
uh, or respect. And they're, notice they're all good things. Nothing sinful about those things. However, they become sinful when they become ultimate things for you. And you know that they become ultimate things for you when you're willing to sin in their absence. If I don't get them, then life is not good for me, life is not good for those around me. So the idolatry questionnaire is helpful to identify what's happening in, in your heart. And if you didn't get then the, those pages a couple of weeks ago or today, then make sure you don't leave today without them. And if you got them, then I encourage you to fill those out and identify that. And let's say through that process or some other, God has convicted you that there are parts of what's going on in this relationship that are on you. Then, then what do you do? Well, you confess. That's the biblical response to sin is I confess it. I confess my sin. And of course, I confess my sin first to God, but then I confess it to those that I've, that I've wronged. And confess means, biblically, to say the same thing. In fact, that's literally what the word means. To say the same thing. Now, how does that relate to me wronging you or you wronging me? It means that when I come to you and I say I've sinned against you, I say the same thing about that that God does. When I confess, I'm saying the same thing about my behavior, my words, whatever, that God does about them. I call it what He does. I don't do weasel words. And the way, unfortunately, we, what normally passes for confession is weasel words. And you see in the first paragraph, top of page 26, some of that. As God opens your eyes to see how you've sinned against others, He simultaneously offers you a way to find freedom from your past wrongs. It's called confession. Many people have never experienced that freedom because they've never learned how to confess their wrongs honestly and unconditionally. Instead, they use words, and I would add weasel words, like, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Let's just forget the past. Well, wait a minute. I'm bleeding over here with this hurt you did, and now you just want to move on? Let's just forget the past. I suppose I could have done a better job. Well, that's, since that's almost like always true, then it's not particularly helpful, is it? I guess it's not all your fault. And the list could go on. This is what I mean by weasel words. This is not saying what God says about it. If I've done something, said something, then I need to own that thing I did or said. But the weasel words all often pass for, for confession. Or we simply say, I'm sorry. I'm, well, I'm sorry for what? Again, confessions say the same thing, so let's lay it out here. And for decades, I have said, and I still believe this to be helpful, that I'm sorry is not what you say for sin. That I'm sorry is for accidents. I, I just encourage you to try to practice this. I'm sorry is for accidents. If I bump into you, then I say, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. If I have some kind of accident, I did something accidentally, then I say, I'm sorry. But if I've sinned against you, I say, will you forgive me? I'm sorry is for accidents, forgiveness is for sin. 
And the reason I urge that on you and to try to practice that consistently is because, one, I want it to, uh, I want it to highlight the seriousness of sin. When we sin, we need to seek forgiveness from those that we've wronged. Not everything that I do that bothers somebody is sin. Not every accident, of course, is, if it's an accident, it's not sin. But if I, have, if I have truly wronged somebody, I've sinned against them, then I need to own that, I need to say what God says about it, and then I need to say, ask, will you forgive me? So that's one reason I want to keep sin and forgiveness in the category that the Bible puts them in, because they're serious. They're more serious than, than accidents. So let's treat them differently. But the other reason is, I'm sorry, has to do with being sorrowful, has to do with feeling. And feeling is not what confession and repentance are at their heart. In fact, if you look at the first point on page 26, repentance is much used but little understood. So you have these two extremely important biblical concepts in our interpersonal relationships. Confession, say the same thing. Say what God says about it. Lose the weasel words. But then having confessed it, you want to make a commitment to repent. I confess that I did this. I confess perhaps that I've been doing it, that I've done it a bunch of times. And I'm confessing it. I'm owning it. But I also am making a commitment in doing that that I don't want to continue, that I want to go in a different direction. That's what repentance is. The word repentance, metanoia, that's the Greek word in your New Testament. It means literally a change of mind, but it's a change of mind, as you see there, point B, that leads to a change of direction. And I'm sorry has to do more with feeling. I feel sorrowful. Now, if I've wronged somebody, I should feel sorrowful. But if that's the extent of it, then here's the problem. Those feelings subside. So I feel sorrowful in the moment that I've hurt you, but then tomorrow comes, and I slept it off. And now I'm feeling a lot better about myself, I'm feeling better about life. And I go and do that same thing or something like that to you again. And then I feel bad about it. And so I say I'm sorry again. And then the next day I feel bad about it and I say I'm sorry again. And so I'm sorry has to do with sorrowful, has to do with feelings. And the feelings are fleeting. To put it another way, it's not saying, notice it says repentance is more than a feeling. It's not saying, I feel bad about this. Now, again, if you've, if you've sinned against someone, you should feel bad. But if that's as far as it goes, then here's what will happen with you. In your interpersonal relationships, when you wrong someone, you will continually have this transaction that goes on. I feel bad. I'm sorry. Next day, I feel bad. I'm sorry. And there's just this transaction. And what you need instead of a transactional approach is a transformational approach. See, when you get to the heart of the matter 
and you uproot the idol that is motivating this stuff, now that begins a transfer, a change of you. It's not now just the same circumstance that I don't like because my idolatrous heart wants this particular thing and it didn't happen, and so I respond in the typical way that I respond, but in doing that I hurt you, and so I feel bad, I'm sorry, and then I do it again, and then I do it again. But rather, if you're really going to repent and go in a new direction, it's identify what's happening in your heart, the idolatry questionnaire, and then with that uprooted, it's a transformation, not just a transaction. I'm trading that idol of my heart. I'm replacing it with something else, something better. And that's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, put things off. Put particular kinds of thinking off, particular kinds of talking off, particular kinds of behavior off. Put these things off, but it doesn't just leave it at put it off. It says put on other stuff, replace it with other stuff. I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3, both of which talk about the putting off and the putting on process. Some of you are in relationships where you have some of you are in relationships where you've gone through this transactional thing for years. I feel bad, I'm sorry. But nothing's really changing. And the reason nothing's really changing is because we're dealing with just the external of the action or the words, not the internal that causes the action and the words. So take the questionnaire, identify your idol or idols, and then deal with those the way the questionnaire talks about so that we can have transformation rather than just transaction. Now, if I'm going to really change, if I'm really going to transform, because that's what transform means, change. If I'm going to do that, it's going to mean changing the way you talk, page 26. So you stop talking in the ways you were. You put off and you put on other ways. Here are some of the things you put off. You no longer use your tongue to injure. So one of the ways the Bible talks about using tongues in an injurious way is slander. It includes lying, exaggeration, telling half-truths, destroying trust. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. The word slander literally means to talk someone down. So it includes lying, exaggeration, half-truths. It can include that. But, and this is important, what you actually said about the person might be true. So it's not saying just something that's untrue. Slander may be true. It's just you're talking someone down to somebody else that you shouldn't be talking about that person to begin with. and you're talking them down. So slander. You're making them look bad in order to make yourself look good. Falsehood. Careless, critical, meaningless words not designed to benefit others. Gossip. It includes betraying a confidence or discussing unflattering personal facts about a person similar to slander. But it may not be talking down, it's just talking about something that's not the business of the other person. Worthless talk, saying what springs to mind without thinking about consequences. 
And then top of page 27, grumbling and complaining. We've got James chapter 5 and verse 9. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. So that is very specifically about grumbling against each other. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, Philippians 2.14 says this, Do everything without complaining. Do everything without complaining. So whether you're complaining about a person, whether you're just complaining about your circumstances, stop. Do everything without complaining. Now, if we just obeyed that one verse, that would cut our vocabulary, our volume in half for many of us. If we just obeyed that, Philippians 2.14, if we obeyed Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is, for, which is helpful for the edification, the building up of others. If we practice that, it would reduce how much we talk. Book of Proverbs says, in the, present, in, in the presence of many words, sin is not absent. The more we talk, the more liable we are to sin. So let me make a recommendation to you. You see all these passages about the way we use our tongues, the, the Bible's just full of them. And part of the reason the Bible is full of them is because sinning by your words is always available to you. You see, in order to do something like commit adultery, you've got to like plan that. You've got to set that up generally. Okay, you've got to sneak around. You've got to do whatever. I don't have any particular expertise in this. I'm just telling you. That. <laughs> but, you know, you've got you to think about it. You've got to plan but to sin with your tongue, you just got to be there. You just got to be awake. You just got to be talking. So the availability of sin with the tongue is always at the ready. And that's why it's so important that we are able to discipline our tongues. Slow down the number of words. Stop saying so much. Listen more than talk. James chapter 1 says to do that. And here's my recommendation. If you hang around somebody that is always talking, then lovingly we're going to talk about on page 28 how you confront somebody. But they need to stop doing that and you need to stop hanging around somebody who does that. Because in the presence of many words, sin is not absent. And some of you have friends that you hang around that talk and they talk and they gossip and they slander and, and you politely listen to them. You don't necessarily do it yourself, but guess what? You're an accomplice and it's not edifying to you. So God takes this issue of the tongue seriously. Use our tongues to confess. Use our tongues to mend. Use our tongues to heal, to bless. And that's what 20, page 27 is about then. Confession means, then, to use your tongue to bless. This is in the context now of a broken or harmed relationship that I confess. I say the same thing. Say what God says about it. And our friends at Peacemaker Ministries, who wrote the book, 
have this helpful seven A's of confession. And they say, when you confess, call it what it is, say the same thing, but address, the first A is address everyone involved, all those whom you have affected. So how far should the, the circle of forgiveness, confession and seeking forgiveness go to all of those who are harmed by it? Now, if you don't know everybody that was harmed by it, then go to those you do. If you, if you harmed people on social media, then put out on social, the same social media your confession and seek forgiveness. I've told people to do this. They never came back to me and told me they did, so I assume they didn't, but I don't know. But I've seen people put things on social media and claim them to be true that they don't know are true. I'm not even saying they're not true necessarily. I'm just saying you don't know that to be true. So don't make the claim. You can't make a claim that you don't know to be true that you don't know is true. And you did that, so you need to go to the people that you did it to and confess and seek their forgiveness. But whatever it is, address everybody involved. Avoid things like if, but, and maybe. Don't excuse your wrongs. Admit specifically both the attitudes and the actions of the sin that you committed. The fourth A is acknowledge the hurt. There is sorrow. You should feel bad. And so I am sorry that you were hurt by my sin. Accept the consequences, which may mean making restitution. If a person is unwilling to make restitution when restitution is required, then they are not fully repentant. They've not fully owned it. You may not be able to make restitution. You know, if you killed somebody, they're dead. And you confess that to their family and you seek the forgiveness of their family, but you can't bring their loved one back. Right? But as far as you are able to do that, you're willing to. Alter your behavior. Change your attitude. So it's not just the transaction, it's the transformation, but that requires identifying the idol and then ask for forgiveness. Now, we're going to see in our final two pages what forgiveness looks like when someone asks you for forgiveness and you grant it. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about page 28 and the need to confront. So the previous two pages were about, okay, in this relationship, you've realized that even if the other person has issues and they may not be willing to own their issues, You've had God reveal to you issues of your own, sin of your own. You're willing to own it. You're willing to confess it. You're willing to repent of it. That's how you do that, pages 26 and 27. But what if you have to go to somebody else and you have to confront them about their sin? So it's not what you did. It's now what someone else did. And the Bible does tell us to do that. The Bible tells us, for example, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, if you see a brother or sister caught in a sin, so caught in a sin, the word for, for caught there is used of like a, a, a fisherman's net. They're, in the, they're caught in the web of the net. You seek to restore such a one, it says. But it tells you to approach them gently, but seek to restore them. And to restore means, the word literally means to mend the net, to fix it. So you desire to see it fixed. 
This person that you love has a problem. They have a sin problem. You want to see it fixed. And God calls on us to go and, and do this. James chapter 5, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. You guys have heard in Scripture a number of times it uses this phrase, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. In James 5, 19 and 20, it just says, here's how you can cover a multitude of sins. It uses that phrase, cover a multitude of sins. But it doesn't use the word love. It says, here's how you can cover a multitude of sins. And instead of using the word love, it gives you the actions that are really loving actions. And you know what it is? James chapter 5 and verse 19 is to help a wanderer turn from the error of his way. And in doing so, you will save them and cover over a multitude of sins. That's what it says. So in place of love covering over a multitude of sins, it's saying... Here's the way love looks sometimes in covering a multitude of sins. Going to somebody and helping them move from the error of their way. But, top of page 28, the word confrontation has a negative connotation. It conjures up notions of heated arguments, debates. But we all need to be confronted from time to time for our own good to help and restore us when we've done wrong. The Bible commands us to warn and to admonish one another. The Greek word that's translated by those terms, warn and admonish, means this, loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. The goal of approaching someone is restoration, not condemnation. So confrontation, I understand it has that connotation that it's negative, that it's heated, that it's arguing, that it's in your face, and the Bible's not talking about any of that. But it is saying to address it. And to address it requires courage. And it requires love for the other person. Because, you guys have heard me say this a lot of times, in your relationships, in our relationships, we really need to learn to love people more than we need them. We need to love people more than we need them. Listen, I would not preach the stuff I preach. I wouldn't have said some of the stuff I said in the first hour <laughs> if I didn't love you more than I need you. I mean, it sounds lousy for me to say I don't need you. But ultimately, ultimately I need the Lord. Ultimately I need to obey the Lord. Same thing you got to do. And so that's how you then have the courage to say, all right, I'm willing to do this. Because it's for their own good. I love them more than I need them and therefore I'm willing to take the risk. So how does this go? circumstances of confrontation. You must approach someone when they believe that you've wronged them. Matthew 5, don't even come to church is what Jesus is saying until you get those things right. You may approach someone when you believe they've wronged you. If your brother or sister sins against you, show them your, their fault just between the two of you. If he listens, you have won your brother or sister over. But you also may choose to overlook a wrong committed against you. So when do I and when don't I? The criteria, is it dishonoring to God? Is it damaging your relationship? Is it hurting others? Is it hurting the offender? And if the, any of those things are true, then that's a time when you need to go to the person and say, hey, I've observed this, this is what's going on. 
I love you. I want the best for you. I want to see God use you. And I don't want you derailed by this or anything else. And therefore, I'm bringing this to your attention, asking you to get it right before the Lord. So if any of those things are true at the bottom of page 28, then you want to approach the person. You want to confront it. You want to admonish loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. Now, what should happen when all of that happens? Somebody confesses, says the same thing God says about it. They're going to replace because they're going to put on and replace what they put off. It's going to be transformative rather than just transactional. And I go to somebody and I ask them to forgive me or they've approached me because they've sinned against me and they're asking me to forgive them. How does this forgiveness go? Page 29. In order for a relationship to be truly reconciled, action is required by the offender and the offended. The offender must ask for forgiveness. The offended must be willing to grant it. Those who have been forgiven by Christ must always be ready to grant forgiveness to others who ask. I said a couple of weeks ago, if forgiveness is not sought, the relationship cannot be reconciled. Nevertheless, the offended party must still deal with the matter internally in order to avoid falling victim to bitterness, the poison we make for another but end up drinking ourselves. That's what bitterness is. So, as I said a couple weeks ago, you can't forgive somebody who doesn't ask for it, but you can deal with your own attitude toward them so that your bitterness doesn't destroy you, and you must do that. But we must always be willing to grant forgiveness when someone sincerely seeks it from us. And let me up the ante because Jesus upped the ante on this. You remember in the model prayer that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, pray like this. And he says, pray our Father, hallowed be, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he, Jesus is going to give six requests that you make in a model prayer. The first one is, hallowed be your name. That is, your name, your character, be set apart from all others in, in the world. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So the way things are working in the kingdom of the world leaves a desire in my heart for your kingdom. I desire your kingdom not to plant my roots here. Your kingdom come, Lord. Thirdly, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, I desire to see your will carried out by all of your creatures. That is done in heaven perfectly. I desire to see that done on earth as well. And so when you do the model prayer, you do six things. The first three are the, you talk to the Father about the Father, about His name, about His kingdom, about His will. And then the final three, you talk to the Father about the family. And so the fourth one is give us this day our daily bread. And the fifth one you may remember is and forgive us our debts as, we've, as we forgive those who are our debtors. So that's the fifth one. And then Jesus leaves it and he goes on. And the sixth and final one is, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So nestled in those six petitions is the fifth one, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, our trans, uh, transgressions. 
as we forgive those who transgress against us. But then, of those six, Jesus comes back to one of them. He elaborates on one of them. If you read further, that model prayer ends in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Jesus says, For if you do not forgive your brother, God will not forgive you. Well, okay. That just made it pretty serious, didn't it? Jesus is saying, your relationship with me, your relationship with God, is manifest by your relationship with other people. And if you're not willing to forgive other people, then you are not people who show that you yourself have been forgiven. Because Jesus gave that parable. If you understand the enormity of what you've been forgiven, then literally anything that anybody else has ever done to you pales in comparison. That was the Matthew 18 parable that he gave. Remember the guy that owed a few bucks and the guy that owed millions of dollars? So we must be willing to, to forgive. And here's what the Bible says on forgiveness. I, the Lord, will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared, that is revered, held in awe. And then here's the Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father forgives you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So this is not optional to be willing to forgive. When we sin, it's not optional to seek forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? First, let's see what it isn't. It's not a feeling. It may be that someone has harmed you. I've been here, and my guess is everybody in here has it, one time or another. Just something has hurt you so deeply that someone else has done that when they come and ask forgiveness, you don't feel like it. You're still traumatized. You're still feeling the, the harm. You may feel the harm for months and years. So please understand, forgiveness is not a feeling. That you can commit, we're going to see what it is, it is some commitment you made. And I make a commitment to do this even though my feelings have not caught up with my commitments as yet. It's also not forgetting. You know, when the Bible says, as it does in Jeremiah 31, I, the Lord, will for, up at the top there, will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You know, you have things in the Bible like God remembered Noah. <laughs> so does that mean God ever forgot Noah? Has God ever forgotten anything? Is it possible for an all-knowing, omniscient God to forget anything? The answer is no. God's never forgotten anything. So when it says God remembered Noah, what it's saying is, is God focused on Noah. And the story from that point on starts to focus on Noah. And when it says he will remember your sins no more, it's not that God ever can forget, but rather that God will not focus on those. I have this theory, I can't prove it, 
but I have this theory that everything that's ever entered into our brains like stays there. I can't prove that, but you know, do you ever feel like you got brain overload and you've just got so much stuff in there? The problem is I've got so much stuff in my brain, here's the problem, I can't retrieve 90% of it. And the older I get, the less I'm able to retrieve. And it's like killing me. I know, you know, and you're trying to get it. You do that all the time, right? So really, the forgetting is not so easy. And there'll be times where your mind and the retrieval mechanism in your brain will actually open up that compartment that has that thing in it, and you will remember it. You know, you've had flashbacks, right? A song, a movie, something that takes you back, and all of a sudden you're remembering something. Well, that may be the same way about some sin committed against you. It'll come up. You see the person or the circumstance. Somebody mentions something that brings that up again for you. What, you're not saying forget. You're saying, I won't focus on it. And forgiveness is not excusing. You know, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean they didn't do the thing. They did the thing. That's why the forgiveness is necessary. So what is it? Page 30. It's a promise that I will not dwell on this incident. I'm not saying it won't come to my mind. I can't say that. It will come to my mind. I may still be hurting, and it, it may just be flashing through my mind regularly for a period of time. Now, I have had, I've had people that my wife and I have had to counsel where a spouse has committed adultery against them. And it takes a good while before that offended spouse can get out of their mind visions of what was happening with their spouse. I mean, that, how do you put that away? Over time, it happens. Over time, it wanes. But notice it's over time. And so I'm very upfront with the person. You're going to have a very hard time forgetting this. And I try to give some ways to help them to hasten that, but it, it takes time. So you're not saying that it won't come to mind. You're saying when it does come to mind, I won't dwell on it. Forgiveness is a promise that I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. You know, what some of us do when someone does sin against us, as long as we survived and it doesn't harm us too bad, we, we secretly kind of think, hey, cool. I've got one banked that I can bring up when I need to. And that's not what we do. We're not going to bring it up. Forgiveness is a promise that I will not talk to others about this incident. I have forgiven it. And I'm doing my best to put it away. You would say to another person who wants to talk about it, if the offending party has sought forgiveness, you've granted forgiveness, then you say, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not saying it's gone. I'm just saying I'm not going to dwell on it and talk about it with others. And then lastly, it's a promise that I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So it's not a feeling. Notice it is those commitments. It is those, those promises. So here's finally at the end of our series, a summary of biblical peacemaking. We started with the reason that we do peacemaking at all, it is like everything in the Christian life to bring glory to God. See pages 8 through 10 and 21 through 25. But remember, get the log out of your own eye as you seek to have 
reconciliation with someone. Deal with whatever the Lord has shown you. Be willing to confess it. That's why pages 26 and 27 are there, to own it. Gently restore. If it's what the other person has done, then the ministry of confrontation is what we're called to, but do it according to Scripture's dictates. And then go and be reconciled, whether the sin was yours or whether the sin was theirs. Matthew 18 says if they sin against you, then you go to them. And then Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you've sinned against them, go to them. So in Matthew 5, you're the one who was sinned against. In Matthew 18, uh, or you're the, you're the one who sinned. Matthew 18, you're the one who was sinned against. But in both cases, Jesus says, do the same thing. Go and be reconciled. So be willing to take the initiative to get it right, whether you were the one who offended or the one who was offended. Pages 29 and 30. And then just keep this, uh, I think, helpful graphic in mind then. You've got escape responses and attack responses that we saw in week one. If you missed any of our sessions here, they are all recorded. Like everything we do, it's on our website. But then there are the peacemaking responses. All right, let's pray and we'll be done. Our Father, we thank you for the blessings of today. We thank you that we could praise you in song give back to you, Lord, as you have first given to us, to open your word and to be instructed there today about this issue of, of prejudice that can lurk in all of our hearts and how hard, how di difficult it was for people like the Apostle Peter to put that aside. But Lord, you worked in their hearts to do that. And your church is marching forward 2,000 years later because of that. And yet we are people like Peter, and we struggle with the same things. And so, Lord, thank you for reminding us of that and convicting us of that. And help us, Lord, to take those things to heart and to put into practice this afternoon, this week, when we think about others. Help us to think about them from your perspective with the compassion that Jesus had for people. Look at people as the people they are, made in the image of God and fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter who they are. May your church be a church that shows that face forward to an onlooking world. So thank you for reminding us of that, Lord. And then for this series and what your word teaches about peacemaking and re reconciling when conflict has occurred, not if it occurs. In a fallen world, Lord, you know how much conflict we have, conflict in our own hearts, conflict that boils over from our hearts in our interpersonal relationships. Thank you, Lord, for making peace with us between ourselves and you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for giving us the principles of your word to make peace with others, at least those who want that peace. And then, Lord, for those who don't or don't want that peace right now, help us to trust you enough to put that in your hand. And, Lord, to one day bring that about, whether this side of heaven or in heaven, to bring that about. But, Lord, we trust you with it, and we entrust, therefore, those situations that we cannot reconcile to you. Go with us this week, Lord, as we seek to serve you and honor you in the way we speak and talk and act. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.